Welcome back to Moms of Baseball. This is episode 86, and I'm Stephanie. And I'm Diana. We are finally back to recording after taking off quite a bit of time this summer. So thank you, everyone, for hanging in there and being patient with us. Today, we're going to welcome back special guests Steve Young and Michael Galino from episode 77, which was titled How to Affect Culture Change in a Failing Athletic Program. Steve Young and Michael Gulino are well-regarded athletic directors and educators in the state of New York and even on the national stage. Steve Young is a current director of athletics at New Rochelle School District, which is a very large school district just outside of New York City. Michael Gulino is a retired director of athletics from Byron Hills School District, also in New York. They've both agreed to join us today to discuss a topic that is near and dear to our hearts which is mental health in student-athletes. And Stephanie, it looks like this is also a well-timed episode, right? Absolutely, because September is National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. All right, Steve and Michael, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. We're so glad you both were able to find the time to talk about this topic. This, You could argue that this is the most important topic we've discussed on this podcast to date. Absolutely. Um, We've seen even, you know, over the summer with Olympics, Simone Biles at the Olympics needed to take an event off because of the mental health. um, And she just couldn't handle the pressure in in dealing with um, being the athlete at the same time. We've also seen, I would say, an increase or maybe it's just more awareness of the mental health and suicide. We saw Ryan Jefferson passed away from suicide November 2021 at the age of 16. He was a young baseball player. We also saw this past summer, Sarah Scholes. She was a college track athlete that died by suicide. And her parents even stated, balancing athletics, academics, and the demands of everyday life overwhelmed her in a single desperate moment. So we need to bring this to more attention of parents, um, educators, and even seeing these signs and symptoms in these athletes. So when we last spoke, you both mentioned that mental health is a topic that you often speak about, I believe in regards to educating other athletic directors. So could you please clarify, or let's talk about maybe some of the signs and symptoms of mental health concerns that coaches or parents may identify in athletes? You know, I I think, you know, the the, the signs and symptoms that that you're going to see in student athletes are, you know, to a great degree, not not much different than the, the signs and symptoms that you would see for, in a in, in a student, you know, walking around in the high school, in the middle school, or you know, that's part of the after school or the theater program. You know, I, I think some of the biggest things is, and this is why coaches can become really good um, observers and, and reporters of potential problems because they see the kids so much, and and they also they they see them in a different arena. I think some of the key things that, that you'd have to be looking for is that when you have an athlete now, we're going to talk about student athletes. When you have an athlete and all of a sudden there's a change in behavior. So that kid that was highly motivated, never missed practice, never was late. Um, you know, then all of a sudden you start to see like a change in behavior. You know, the kid that's, you know, they're not working as hard in practice. Uh, they, they're coming late. They're coming up with excuses. You know, these are you're observing changes in behavior. It does may may mean nothing. It may mean there's something else going on in the kid's life that's causing this. But I think the big piece of it is that you know you as a coach, unless you're a certified counselor, you're a coach. But there are resources in the school, so and you should know who those resources are. So 
if you see a, a student athlete and you're seeing a, a change in behavior, you know, a change in attitude, you know, it may be something that you're going to share with like a school counselor or a psychologist or a social worker. And, you know, because they have a greater depth of knowledge of this information. So I, th- I think that's one. So the other one you, you're going to see in, um, in athletics also, you know, the kids that, you know, um, let's say we'll, we'll use soccer, for example, the kid that, you know, never got a yellow card, never got a red card. Now all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, losing his temper. He, he's screaming at officials. He's, you know, you know, creating flagrant fouls, things along those lines, you know, big, big change, big behavior change. So, you know, that would be another red flag of, you know, talking to the child and trying to figure out what's going on. So, but, you know, same thing, change in eating habits, change in sleeping patterns, uh, you know, changing friends, uh, you know, withdrawing, you know, not, not wanting to be involved in activities. So all these things, I would just say, you know, change is the key thing, seeing the kids, seeing a lot of changes. But at least, it's at least worth the conversation with the athlete, and you got to do a lot of good listening. And then from there, you may say to yourself, hey, let, let me share this with the athletic director. Let me share this with one of the, the resources at school to see, you know, what they think. Always turn it over to a professional that is um, experienced and knowledge in that area. I, I think the other thing, too, um, to explain a little bit on what Mike said, is, is watching when a kid comes to practice, who are they they're partnering up with anybody or they by themselves. Maybe they're the last one to get to practice, but they're the first ones to leave. So you want to see, look for those those changing behaviors as well. Um, maybe academically things aren't going as well either. So that's something to talk to the kid about or see something you notice. Maybe you can reach out again to a counselor, but see, see those social interactions in practice or even in a, maybe having a team dinner and they don't come. Or they, they call up and say, I'm just not feeling well. Or they're kind of withdrawing from the team itself. And those could be some telltale signs that something's going on. You know, what you're saying makes sense. We're just looking for an overall change in behavior, and, and that could be exhibited in a lot of different ways. And I think the other thing also is, I mean, uh, adolescence is, a, you know, obviously a difficult time in life. But, you know, it seems like these, these days, every day is a difficult day in life for regardless of how old you are or how young you are. Um, but I think the key thing is that I think the changes we're talking about is, you know, these changes that seem to be ongoing and consistent. You know, so if, if you're seeing this pattern, you know, with, with this behavior change that seems to be occurring for <clears throat> a week, definitely two weeks, um, at that point in time, there's definitely a need to have some kind of conversation <clears throat> or look into it. But, yeah, you have to see a pattern of change over the course of time. Absolutely. I was just going to say, too, oh, over the whole COVID years and being, you know, isolated in their rooms as teenagers and everything, I think it was definitely hard on all of us. Um, and then so coming out of it and in, in trying to reintegrate back into being a part of the community and school and everything is just, yeah. So I, I think that we do need to be more aware of all of those symptoms as well. So I appreciate that. I think the other thing you also have to be aware of as a parent, as a teacher, as a coach, are you know certain things that may trigger a a reaction of an athlete to get you know to create anxiety or even to create depression. Um, you know, there, there, and then also there may be some triggering triggering events in their life. You know, so you know the, the moving away of a friend, the, the death of somebody in the family. You know, find out somebody in the family maybe has cancer, parent losing a job, all these triggers. 
could also be some things that are going to kind of, you know, evoke this, this behavior change that the kid is, is kind of going through. So that's why, you know, as a parent, you know, you have to try to keep the school in the loop about what's going on as best as possible. And I think the school has to also do the same, you know, because so sometimes they may be observing things or the coach may be observing things that maybe the parent's not seeing and, and vice versa. So I think being able to monitor the triggers in the, in the, in the kid's life are, are important things as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the pandemic brought out a lot of this too. The inequities or poor home situations that weren't great or, or things of that sort. So kids are just trying to get back now and kind of relearn socialization. So, so it's been it's been tough on them, especially everything that's going on outside of the school world, but just what's going on in general with, you know, the whole, all the social movements, all the crazy election, January 6th, those kinds of things. That's a lot of heady stuff for adults, let alone for, for the kids of school age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I can imagine this extremely yep. difficult time for students right now. And, and, and on that note, um, mental health is a concern, you know, for every population. The pandemic was hard on all of us, maybe especially on, on kids. But could one of you, I don't know, Steve, if maybe you want to take this one, um, discuss stressors that would be specific to student athletes that could contribute to their mental health? Sure. I think a lot of it is, is we talk about this, the pressures, um, the pressure of trying to be, you know, you, you're wearing a lot of hats, first of all. You know, you're, you're a family member, you're a brother, you're a sister, uh, you're a friend, you might be involved in things in school. So the identity factor of being involved in a team, that, that's a big part of the kid's life. So some of the factors is, you know, let's say there's an injury and you can't play, you know, so now you've kind of lost that that sense of belonging. So it's important to, to keep the athlete involved, be part of the team, make sure that they have something to do so that they're not just in the training room doing the rehabilitation and going to PT, but that they're, they're there with their teammates. Um, the other thing I see going on, Mike and I talk about this a lot as well, is, is the pressure through social media. So everything yes. now, you play a high school sport, everything is in real time. So when we were kids, you know, and the newspaper was covering you, if you made a mistake in the game, they wouldn't call you up. They'd call your team up. So if you fumbled in the game, it wouldn't be Steve Young fumbled at the one. It might be the Rochelle fumbled at the one-yard line recovered by Byron Mills. But now everybody knows in real time who fumbled the ball or who threw that interception. So so we, we put these kids on a pedestal where, you know, our communities are relying on High school sports is a means of entertainment, and and we think that these kids, because they're in, you know, playing nice uniforms or nice, you know, gyms or football stadiums, that, that they're pros and they're not. So there's a lot for them to to wrap their head around that could be very very difficult for them. Right. I don't know if it's this. It's always been like this, or if it's been more recent. But I noticed that kids are kind of brutal, like in the way that they chant at games. Like I feel like it's more so they're they're like a lot worse now than I remember them being when I was in high school. And just for an example, um, I'm thinking of somebody in a nearby town who was just a phenomenal volleyball player, okay, and was playing on the varsity as a freshman. And she would, you know, have a kill or something. 
And then the the kids from her student section would yell, she's a freshman. And to kind of like rub oh. it in everybody else's faces, like she's a freshman, you know, when she just scored on you. But then like if she'd make a mistake, heaven forbid, then the other crowd would yell, overrated. And, um, oh. you know, <laughs> and that's, you know, completely directed at one individual and the whole student sections, you know, just that's just one example. But I've noticed things like that where I think, wow, I can't believe we're you know, we're singling out a, a, a single player in, you know, in the student section chance at games. Uh, yeah, that's a real problem in high school. That's, that's, yeah, that's a big problem. And again, a lot of this stuff is, is that's why putting it amped up or discussed or planned on, on through social media. You know, you, when you're going to come to a certain game and, you know, we're going to you know, get on this particular player, you know, and, and, you know, schools really should have rules that, you know, you can't single out a player on, on, the, on the team, you can't single them out by their number, by their name, or anything else along those lines. But that, yeah, unfortunately, that's the big issue in athletics right now in the country, where, you know, it's the, 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 the fan behavior and what, what, what fans believe is acceptable at high school uh, athletic events. You know, I think as Steve mentioned before, these are kids, they're high school kids, they're you know, playing a, a sport and activity because they like it and for their community. Then a professional athlete that, you know, are older and more experienced and so on. So like, I think that, that is a big problem. And, you know, a big part of that has to do with the school's ability to, you know, manage events properly. But so often a lot of that stuff is, um, you know, I would say like planned out on, on social media amongst, you know, kids. Like when we go to the game tonight, we're going to do this. So we're going to do that. Okay. Yeah, I will agree that social media gives you that instant gratification. And so they want to see how many likes they can get. And it's just, it boggles my mind about the stuff that they will, will pre-plan um, to make sure that they can get the likes. But that's kind of like the weird era that we're living in right now, where social media is kind of overruling, like being there in real person and enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think the example you gave before with the volleyball player, it's almost like, you know, one-upsmanship, you know, like with, you know, he's a favor, you know, a, a freshman where we're putting it in your face that, you know, she, she's, she's scoring, she's spiking over seniors on your team, you know, and then all of a sudden, yeah, and they, they have to come back. It's almost like it's one-upsmanship. Who could get like the last, you know, lick in, if you know what I mean, in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. some kind of fan fan. It becomes like a competition almost in the stand. Yeah. <clears throat> Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I just feel like, you know, it's there, there's got to be so much pressure for freshmen playing up on varsity as it is. And then on top of it, when like you've got the whole gym, like chanting back and forth about you, I just can't imagine. Um, you know, I, I think it depends on the athlete, maybe whether or not that they can handle that. But I, I don't feel like they should have to at that level. Right. And, 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 you know, the other part of it that, you know, you don't hear like what you hear in the gym is the, the follow up comments that will occur after the game is over by way of like social media networks to that particular athlete or whatever you know so sometimes it doesn't end when the game ends it's just you know you know going on afterwards you know by you know communicating with that particular athlete possibly or, or other team members or sending pictures or things like that i know of a team where you know <clears throat> It was supposed to be a game, and they upset the other team. And afterwards, they 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 sent pictures of themselves and and the team, you know, to the team that lost, indicating like you know 
so all kind of typical things. You know, you, you guys thought you were so great. You know, we beat you and this and that. And like, that's not really the sportsmanship we're trying to teach in athletics. And the other thing that's coming out is, is not just the chanting that's become more vicious, but sometimes, unfortunately, it becomes racial or ethnic. Um, the chants, the slurs, which is really troubling, uh, the trash talk on the field. Um, and it seems to be everybody's a target, be it a coach, be it an athlete, be it an official. Uh, everybody seems to be involved these days. And I think, especially for kids, that, that's real tough to take. It's one thing to take, you know, some jeering once in a while, but when you start with the other stuff, or like you said, they start calling your name or your number, that that's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're all battling as athletic administrators is, what do we do about the sportsmanship in the stands? Right. So that, Absolutely. That, yeah, because that's a whole like difficult. that's a whole culture you'll tr- you're trying to affect there. Right. Yeah. 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 And unfortunately, you see it on TV all the time, and those things just trickle down to the the high school and the youth level. Mm-hmm. Even the travel situations that I know you're involved with, but I'm sure there's some heckling there too, or or even parents coaching from the stands. That's hard for kids as well. They don't know who to listen to. Right. Absolutely. So to piggyback off of that, so how do you think the increasing competitiveness of sports at a younger and younger age, particularly in travel sports like baseball or softball, adds to those stressors? That that is one of the that that is one of the major uh, stresses that kids have because um, you know when you think about all the traveling they do. Sometimes you know they're, they're taken away from their their team. They take they, you know their school team. They're taken away from the, from their routine. It's additional pressure because you know you mentioned earlier how um, you know kids have to deal with academics, athletics, and just the regular things of, of being a kid. And now you know they have to do that but they have less time to do all of it because of the traveling that's involved. And you could go for a weekend and like be playing games all, all Saturday and Sunday, Sunday long. So th- that's the issue. The other issue. And again, sometimes it, it's unspoken. Many times it's unspoken. The kid feels pressure and anxiety. I know my parents are spending all this money. My parents are putting in all this time, you know, from, you know, for the thought that, you know, for me to become really, really good and maybe like, get a scholarship or be a starter or make all state or something like that. And, you know, it just creates a lot of anxiety for the kid, especially when, you know, they, they're not performing at the level that they think they should be performing. Plus sometimes, you know, unfortunately, um, <clears throat> you know, that's why I can put it is sometimes there's bad sport parenting that goes on where, you know, parents are the ones actually putting pressure on their kids verbally as well. So, you know, all of these things are going to contribute to, uh, some of the, the, the stresses that, that student-athletes are, are facing. <clears throat> and then the other side to that, too, is you get your maybe some youth coaches who say, well, if you're going to play on my travel team, you can't play for your school team. Yep, absolutely. And if you do that, you can't yeah. stay with us. Yeah. And I think that puts the added stress on because now you're paying a lot of money to be on that team or they call it a premier team or Olympic development team or whatever you want to call it, you're spending a lot of money and maybe the rewards aren't there. You're not playing a lot more. There's an expectation that you know, if I'm going to put you on this AAU team, you better become a scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of that that, you know, where you just simply get back in that car and mom and dad aren't happy with the way you're playing. And so it just no. piles on because the athletes feel bad and you're not playing well. And now you're getting criticized on top of that. So it's just a vicious cycle. But sometimes no, I, just can't get out of 
I think the other thing also is that the, the, the athlete becomes socially separated from their friends. So, so if you were on, you know, the high school football team, well, that's a better idea. You're on the high school soccer team, and you know, you're, you were told, hey, you got to play for the high school, you play for the club, and you decide to play for the club or the traveling team. So now you become excluded from all those things that your high school team does. You know, you're not going to team dinners. You know, when you have homecoming, you're not running out on the field. You know, you're not in front of the hometown crowd. You're not all part of like, you know, the hype during school when they're going to have the pep rally. And, you know, you know, all these things are so big to kids in high school. And as a mm-hmm. result, that you, you, you're not experiencing all that. You're not getting all of that. You know, you're going to a practice that could be miles away from your house with kids that go to go to a different school. You know, you're not playing in front of the crowd. So, you know, that 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 kind of stuff uh, bothers a kid as well because it's separation from friendships. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I I could see that. And when I I can only really look at it from a younger level since our oldest kids are just entering high school. But um, the closest thing I can compare it to is like if a if a younger kid is choosing to travel baseball as opposed to like play with their local little league, you know they're missing out on like those mm-hmm. opening day ceremonies when your whole town's there and you're walking across <laughs> carrying your banner, or like they're missing out on. Um, playing on the all-star team and, you know, hoping to move on to states or whatever. But there's there's just so much community pride, like, with your local team that that you can absolutely miss out on. And I could see how that could be, that could definitely be, you know, a negative factor for kids if they're choosing that. But you said one thing I really wanted to touch on, and that was you were talking about travel sports and, um, like, how much money it costs. And I think that that's something that we as parents – Maybe unintentionally, but maybe sometimes it's intentional. Put a lot of pressure on our kids, and we kind of throw that in their faces. Like we're paying mm-hmm. all this money, for, you know, for you to go do yep. this. And I, I, I think that's something that we as parents, since we have primarily parents that that listen to this, um, need to be really careful of. Because um, yes, I, I do think maybe they should know that this, you know, that there is a little bit of a commitment to this. But at the same time, we're already putting so much pressure on them. I, I, I. I I think you should really be careful about throwing that financial stress on your kids' shoulders as yeah. well. Absolutely. Oh, that's the worst thing you could do. You know, yeah. if the kid loves it and they're trying their best, I think that's the only thing you can ask for. Right. You know, I don't think it's, you know, to, to throw it at, at a 10 or 11-year-old kid that you're paying $3,000 a year so they can go play baseball in the hopes that yeah. they're going to get a Division One scholarship. It, it's misguided. And right. if you're doing that, you might as well take the 3000 and put it into a college savings plan. Right. <laughs> True. You know, I, I think the, I think the, the misnomer and the misperception out there is that everybody that gets a college scholarship is on a full ride. Yes. And, and that's not the case. Right. You know, there's, there's only, you know, football, men's and women's basketball, and I think volleyball are the only sports in Division one that are that are called headcount sports, meaning you're not dividing those scholarships. So it's one scholarship per athlete, and that's the limit on that team. Um, when you get to the other sports like baseball and soccer, they're gonna they can divide those scholarships like slices of pizza. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your so your scholarship could be three thousand dollars to play baseball, right? Or five thousand. So so it's really it's really something that. Where, where parents start putting in, you know, oh, my, my child has a scholarship to go play baseball. Yeah, maybe, but how much is it? And how much are you paying for the, the balance of that bill? But I think that that added stress, you know, we, we talk about it as, 
in our business. It's like that documentary Race to Nowhere. What, what are we doing? Why are we, why are we setting kids up like that? Could you repeat the name of that documentary you, you just said? Race to Nowhere. Oh, Race to Nowhere. I'll have to look that up and link it. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. to piggyback on that as well, so what would your advice be to help parents decide how much stress is too much stress for their athlete? Because in some situations, you know, they need to learn how to perform under pressure or in, you know, those high stress situations. But like, what, where do we, where, where should we draw the line as parents for our athlete? Yeah, early I think just let them have fun. <laughs> yeah. The basics, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> But let them try different things. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's healthy for an 11-year-old to be playing baseball 12 months a year. Yeah. True. Physically, mentally, yeah. Um, no, no, the other thing I, I just want to also say is that, um, for, from the parent, um, I, I, I think it's just some of the, the general good rules of good parenting, even when your kid feels like they're being stressed academically. Um and, and, you know, I, and I agree with you. One of the biggest things we teach in athletics is resiliency. You know, it's, you know you're going to get knocked down. And what you got to do is you got to pick yourself up and spring back right back. Resiliency, that, that's what they learn. But I think that as a, from a parenting point of view, I think the thing you have to do is just good parenting. It's like have a conversation with your kid. You know, and, and I know this is almost like a lost practice in America today, but eating dinner with your children every night just having good conversations with them, you know, not only listening to the words they're saying, but, you know, re- re- reading the, like, you know, their, their, their body language, their facial expressions, things like that. Having, you know, the relationship where the, the kid can come to you, just the thought of, you know, here's a tough one for a kid when all of a sudden they've been doing travel baseball, let's say, since they're eight years old. And, you know, all of a sudden they enter their freshman year, they're 14 and 15 the difficult conversation of them coming to you to say, like, I, I really don't want to play baseball anymore. You know, the, the amount of stress there. But the point is, you develop, like, a good relationship and communication with your child. You know, they feel that anything they tell you, you're going to be able to, you know, listen to and kind of work through with them. So I, I just think it's just good parenting skills is, is what you're going to really be looking at. And, you know, conversations with the, the, the child's coach, especially if it's a good coach that not only understands the game, but more importantly, understands kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they can give you some, well. You know, sports, like, like Mike, said, Mike said, the resiliency, but, you know, you're teaching those life skills, you know, whether it's critical thinking skills or being part of a team and, and being held accountable, maybe carrying your own equipment bag, being responsible for other people, time management. Those are some of the things that you learn from playing. And not everything's going to be about wins and losses. And I think too often kids sometimes in that high high pressure world are are judged or loved based on their athletic performance, and not on just the kid being the kid. And, and that's my Absolutely. child, and the love is unconditional. You know, when they get back in the car, they know that it's not that they're going to be berated for how they play. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. That's important mm-hmm. that we understand that that their performance in no way affects that. Um, I I like what uh, Michael said about, you know, trying to eat family dinner together and have those conversations. I know for families of busy students, student athletes, that can be really difficult a lot of times. I know there's a a popular meme out there that says we can eat dinner at 4 p.m. or we can eat dinner at 9 p.m. 
Um, and you know, there's, there's nothing in between because mm-hmm. everyone's got practice or whatever, but, um, you know, we, we, we try to do the best we can. And I think, um, one thing that my husband and I do in our family is, uh, my husband did his clinical internship at Brigham Young University in Utah. And so we had our kids out in Utah and we ourselves, this is going to get religious just for a second, just barely. We ourselves are not Mormon or LDS, but when we lived in Utah, we were kind of immersed in that culture. And one thing that we kind of borrowed from the LDS community that we still try to do to this day is they have uh, family home evening and that's traditionally Monday nights. And so for us, we just pick whatever sport we're doing, whatever, um, evening happens to be most available for us. We try to do a family home evening. So we try at least that one night to have a decent dinner to sit down together and maybe, you know, play a game of cards or watch a movie or just like do something. And sometimes it might just be literally we sat down and had 20 minutes to sit at the dinner table together. But um, the rest of the week might be chaos, but we always try to find at least that that one night where we can sit down, you know, and hang out together if possible. That's great. It's really important to know that, that, that uninterrupted time. Right. Yeah. That also, dinner with your children, that also continues to be one of the, the number one protective factors that will decrease the risk that a kid will get involved in drugs, believe it or not. Wow, uh, so really? That, that, yeah, that quality family time together, you know what? Even if it's only for one day a week, two days a week, it's, it, it, it's really important. It's really significant. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, that that's, you know, it's almost like if, if you wanted to give the parents a checklist, hey, if there's one thing you could do, do that. Wow. That's, Good. that's really that. interesting. Yeah. And it makes me feel like we need to try to do a little bit better. I didn't really, I did not know that statistic. <laughs> mm. you know, the, the other thing we, we try yeah. to emphasize, especially with our school teams, is, is when kids come to your team, they should feel safe and respected. That should mm-hmm. be a positive place to be, mm. not, not a negative space, not a space that, oh my God, I have to go to practice. And the anxiety level rises. It should be, hey, the coach cares about us win or lose. It's, it's a transformational thing. It's not transactional. So we're not we're not going to be judged by by wins and losses. Right. And, and that may be, you know, it, sometimes you have to look at the the process, not the final product. Mm. Right. You know, it takes years to to hone your craft. You know, and and Aaron Judge didn't start out being Aaron Judge this year by hitting fifty home runs. You know, there was a process for that. And I think we have to we have to respect that and, and respect the fact that the kids are interested. They have they have something that they're passionate about and, and we wanna we wanna cultivate that. But by doing that they, they have to feel that they're in a, a space where they, they feel like they can be themselves and it's okay to make a mistake. It's, it's okay to try, it's okay to, to strike out, you know, I went down swing, it's all right, it's not the end of the world. And I think too often we put so much on that that end product that that we're afraid of. You're afraid of of failing, right? If you think about it, the guys that are in baseball Hall of Fame probably failed seventy percent of the time. Yeah. So you're better three hundred, and and they're Hall of Fame. So you you have to be willing to to teach kids that it's okay to take to take risks. It's okay to you know to take that chance. We're gonna we're gonna support you no matter what. Right. Absolutely. We can't professionalize them at such a young age. Right. Is there anything that coaches can do to help create an environment that contributes to this good mental health of athletes? Well, you know, there's a a great book out there written by a former coach, 
uh, by the name of Joe Ehrman called Inside Out Coaching, considered the greatest coach in America. And the book is all about transformational coaching. With, you know, the whole idea that um, what your real role as the coach is to take, you know, young people, young boys and young girls, young people, and help turn them into adults, help, help turn them into good citizens. So um, really the sport you teach, the, the sport you coach, it's really only like your modality. Like you're, you're teaching this whole set of skills to kids, as Steve had mentioned previously, um, you know, time managed, decision-making, empathy, sportsmanship, uh, you know, perseverance, resilience, all these things you're teaching them through the venue of sport. Now, you know, Steve may be teaching basketball. I may be teaching, I may be teaching those skills, coaching football. He might be teaching coaching basketball, but I think the whole thing, and, and that would be one, you know, I'm sure, you know, all many coaches have heard of this book, but uh, th- that would be a great book to read, uh, Inside Out Coaching by Joe Ehrman, uh, because that that's kind of like the model, I think, which we're trying to get to right now with all of our coaches. And, you know, coaches should go through formal training. Very often, you know, coaches, have a tendency to coach the way they were coached unless they've mm-hmm. gone through some formal professional training. And part of that is not only the X's and O's of, you know, how do you do this? How do you do this skill wise? But the whole thing of like, you know, how, how do you talk to an athlete? How do you treat an athlete? How do you help an athlete grow in, in, into an adult? So it's, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's just something that they have to learn by way of uh, you know, professional coaching and then being supervised by somebody that's watching them to make sure that they're, you know, imparting the skills properly. When I when I go through the interview process for coaches now, one of the last questions I ask is, would you want to be coached by you? Mm. Mm. Yep. I like why that. And why not? No, no one has said that they wouldn't want to be coached by themselves, <laughs> but um, but it makes them think for a minute. Yeah. Why would you want to be coached by you? Yeah, I agree with you. In the interview process, no one's going to say no, but it, yeah, it's nice but to it get them think. thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I, I honestly believe that everything that, that we've talked about, the resiliency, the sportsmanship, and, and we were on the last time about culture, those are all the things that, that encompass what it means to be an athlete or to be a good person. So you take all those things together, you're winning as a byproduct of everything else you're teaching. Right. If you're just teaching about winning, that's the transactional part. Yeah. But, if, but if you're teaching them above and beyond and you can you can get them after a game and break down the lesson that they've learned through this and some of the great things that came out, the positives. Um, that's that's more important, especially at the younger age. You're no, plenty of time to be in pressure cookers. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the big teachings of the book I, I mentioned was that if you take care of the little things, some of the things that Steve was just mentioning, the big things take care of themselves, meaning like wins and losses and, you know, league championships and so on and so forth. When you have a, you know, a, a team where, you know, they want to be there, a coach that's transformational, after a while, that all computes into wins over the course of, of the long run. And I, and I, I can say this, I, I've, I've witnessed it myself in, in many, many school districts where, you know, they, they, they change coaches, they change the athletic directors, they, they change their philosophical approach to coaching. And, you know, now they're teams that doesn't matter what the sport is, doesn't matter what the year is, they're always going to be, they're always in the hunt for a championship because of the whole mindset that all of their teams have toward, you know, athletics, but also toward competition. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely see that around us too. Um, I wonder if, 
it, it definitely seems like it's more important to have the right individual you know that's that's going that's a good coach in in doing all these things that you're talking about um that aspect is more important than like their knowledge of the sport because I, I know a few people that are just phenomenal coaches and um one in particular that just picked up a, co- a sport he knew absolutely nothing about and and very quickly saw success because i just feel like um because like you said he's doing all the little things right and he's educating himself and the the knowledge of the game was almost secondary to everything else yeah no no i i totally agree with you and, I, and i've seen that so many i know many high school coaches that first of all they're successful in, in a sport that first of all they never even played and they really you know even didn't coach maybe it was like hey you know we need you to coach this sport whatever but you know first of all the coach that is self-motivated and you know can go and you talk to other coaches and learn things and look at videos and go to workshops. But the thing that I think is, I agree, it's more important is that um, if you you have to have a coach that has you know, all those skills we've been talking about all night, that not only is going to help, you know, like the knowledge of like how do you motivate kids, how do you pick kids up when they're down, um, you know, how do you create a, an environment where kids feel socially and emotionally safe. All these types of things are going to like long term contribute and. Um, they, 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 uh, I've seen, as I mentioned before, I've seen a lot, a lot of coaches that became very successful if wins and losses are considered successful and they never played the sport and they never coached before. And what they just do, they just keep making themselves better year after year. And as a result of that, you know, the kids prosper from it. And, and part of that too is the kids respected their coach from the beginning. So it wasn't trashing your coach because he never coached the sport before. It was why this person really cares about us. Mm-hmm. He developed that relationship and a trust where the health and safety of the kid is more important than, than the sport itself. Not to mention something. This, I know like Steve does a lot more work with leadership, but you know, I, I'd seen some, some studies on, on leadership where they actually surveyed people to see like, you know, what is it that makes people follow leaders? And again, coaches are leaders. And one of the things that kind of always percolated to the top is that they felt that the person that the leader actually cared about them, cared about them as a person. So I think what Steve just says is true. If, you know, if you're a coach out there and the kids really feel like the coach cares about me, the, co- you know, the coach enjoys spending time with us. Um, you know, I think that's an important thing. I, I, I worked with a great educator who taught me that, you know, you know, a sign of a great teacher and a great coach is when they spend time with kids when they don't have to, you know, and uh, the, the coach that is there, you know, when practice is over, sitting around, talking, you know, how's life going, how's this, how's that, okay, that's the type of environment you want to add, add to because that's, you know, we're going to get back to what the topic of tonight is, that environment is going to help athletes deal with, um, first of all, it's going to decrease anxiety. And, but it's also going to help athletes, you know, understand themselves, deal with them, deal with the issues. And I think the other thing, too, is that um, when you take a look at some of these things related to mental health and resiliency, okay, kids have to have at least one adult role model in their life. And you know, sometimes it's their parents, but sometimes it's not. And, and very often coaches will be identified as the person that fills that role, uh, the, you know, the positive role, positive adult role model that they feel comfortable with that they can go to, they can talk to. So, you know, the, um, the role of a coach, you know, I, I've said this many times, I think one of the, the many, many, many things COVID did 
it it changed the role of a coach. It's more than just about the sport, and it's more than just about X's and O's. It's about the kids and the people that you coach and yet that you work with. I, I totally can see your point about how important the coach's role is, especially like you said when we're talking about mental health of the athlete, because. Um, some kids, you know, they may not have the best, a lot of kids don't have the best home situation and maybe school or academics really isn't their strong suit or where their interests lie or, or, um, you know, and I'm sure they have plenty of teachers that care, but sometimes during school, you know, teachers only have so much extra time to, to spend with kids just based on the schedule and everything. But sports is somewhere where, you know, there's there's more free time for coaches to arrive early or to stay late and to really spend some one-on-one time with the kids. Um, and, and I can see how, especially for, for kids who don't have that strong home life situation, that role can be really vital um, and where that might be a, a great place for them to find that positive adult mentor. You know, and also coaches um, spend so much time at athletes where, you know, uh, you know, in the season, sometimes it's seven days a week. Sometimes it's like, it could, could be year-round, you know, because they have, like, their, their summer things, you know, their off-season things. So they really can get the opportunity to really get to know a kid uh, to, to a great degree. And they also see them in a different arena and, and you know, in, in times where, in tough times, like in, in games and things didn't go right or in practice. And, they you know, they, they see them in, just this, in, in success, but also in, like, some failures that the kid is going to encounter as well. And to go with the... Uh... The, the kind of the rule of one, that connectedness. I tell my coaches, if somebody, the kid comes up to him and says, hey, can I talk to you? And the coach says, not now, come back later. Chances are the kid's not coming back. So there's there's no such thing as a closed door. You know, everything's going to be an open-door policy because we're here for kids. That, that's a business we're in, and, and that's the most important thing. So you don't want to lose that kid because that, that time, next time, might not be the right time for that kid. You've got to get them now. You don't know what he's going to yep. talk to you about, but you have to be ready and open to accept that they, that they need to see you at that time. That's that's super that's true. And I think that's I think that's true probably as parents as well. I know. Um, again, I've got teenage boys, so they're not super talkative, um, and especially about anything serious or about their feelings or anything. But I feel like if they actually or want to talk about something serious. I don't care if it's, you know, past when they should be in bed or if I need them to be focused on something else. It's like, okay, I'm going to listen right now. Let's talk about this because I know that that window could just be, you know, could close at any moment when they're actually going willing to be open and vulnerable and talk to you. So I think that that pretty much wraps up the questions that we have for you today. Um, I'm not sure if, if you had a few final um, takeaways especially for parents or just anything that you'd like to to highlight for parents that's important for them to understand um, in regards to their child's or their student athlete's mental health? I think I think um, a big piece I mentioned before is the social media. I think it's good to have that conversation about it with, with the kids. Uh, like during the pandemic, you could see people putting things out on social media. It looked like life was perfect, and, and that was bothering kids. Um, you mentioned earlier about the kind of rash of suicides amongst athletes, and it seems to be um, almost an epidemic at the college level. Mm-hmm. That pressure to perform, that, that pressure to be that student athlete, and basically have two full-time jobs. But I think um, for parents, it, it's embrace your kid, love your kid, uh, talk to the kids, and and don't 
don't try and talk to them while you're scrolling on your phone. Mm. Actually, sit down when you sit down at dinner at night. Put the phones away. Don't put. Don't bring the phones to the table where you're going to have a family discussion. Put the phones away. And I, I think just to to sit and listen and 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 value what they have to say is so important. The other thing I, I was going to say, and this just probably goes back to uh, when kids first start to play sports. You know, kids should be playing, <clears throat> playing because they want to play, and you know, uh, it shouldn't be because. Their parents want them to play, or their parents have a dream of, of what they want the child to be. Um, I think you know, this, you know, many kids drop out of athletics by the time they're 13 or 14 years old because you know they just kind of get burnt out, and they think that's the other thing too. You know, as, as a parent, educate yourself for the warning signs of um, mental health, uh, you know, issues that that adolescents encounter. And again, it's, it's, it's going to be very easy for me to say this. It's going to be very difficult for many people to practice in that, you know, we, we still experience a stigma in America about mental health and the, the thought that, you know, a child may have to go see a counselor or they may have to go into some kind of treatment, okay? You know, I always, the only example I gave, always give is this. If your child was in a baseball game or in a soccer game and they sprained their ankle or they broke their leg, you wouldn't hesitate. You'd be to the emergency room within as fast as your car or the ambulance could get them there. But when it's mental health, it's like, well, it's a phase, it's a this, it's a that, or like we don't really want to talk about this. So, um, you know, just as you go to the pediatrician to get your, your well checkups and your everything else like that, you know, there's nothing wrong with seeking you know, mental health professionals out to help with some kind of mental health issues because, um, you know, a lot of times, those issues, they just kind of, they, they linger, and they, they become latent, but they, they never really kind of go away. And then they'll, they'll, they'll spring up at some point in time later in the child's life. So it's a combination of mental health, but also, uh, you know, the pressure uh, of playing athletics as well. I think people are working hard to try to decrease or eliminate that stigma around mental health, but it's still absolutely there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's nice when you hear pro athletes start talking about it. Help. Being very yeah. open about it. it, it helps a lot. You know, Michael Michael Phelps. Uh, a, a good documentary to watch is, is the one that Michael Phelps had on HBO called Weight of Gold, and, and the, it's spelled W W E I G H T. Weight of Gold. Oh, okay. And it's about okay. the pressures pressures on Olympic athletes mm-hmm. and what it's like to strive to get there, and then what happens when it's over. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so that that's a good one to watch. He's he's been very very upfront about his issues with mental health. So that's, yes. that's a good one. I think, you know, that's the important thing is to just keep talking to the kids. And when you put a kid into a program, find out what that program is all about. What's the philosophy? And, and maybe make choices that you don't have to play hockey and soccer and basketball all in the same season. <laughs> and you're True. running around every weekend to do multiple things. You know, it's not, not, helping, not helping anybody Really, it's stress on everybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Maybe instead of being so overscheduled, you have more time to be able to sit and spend time with your kid, too, and have that quality time. Right. Have time for those family dinners. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. yes. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you, Michael and Steve, for all of that great information. We truly appreciate that, especially because September is National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. So if anybody has any more concerns, um, we will also list their contact information too in there if you want to hear some more advice from Michael and Steve as well. So wonderful. Thank you, gentlemen, for everything. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great night. Thanks. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Moms and Baseball. You can now listen to our episodes directly from our Moms and Baseball Facebook page. If you subscribe on Facebook, you will get a notification whenever we release a new episode. Feel free to join our Facebook group, Parents and Baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your friends. Until next time, have fun at the fields. We'll see you next week. Don't forget to... <laughs> oh, <dang it. laughs>